meaningless. And again, I think meaningless there is, is maybe a little stronger than we like to think of it, but it's just like it's, it's here and gone. It, it's passing. And I think that through all of this, the preacher is trying to say there is more going on in life than you can be aware of. There is a sovereign God. I won't tip our hand for next week when you finish out in chapter 12. But very clearly though, there, although he's been hinting at it all along, there is something more to life than here. Right? And that's why the choices we make make a difference. But right now he's still very much in that whole, look, this is life. This is the way life is lived under the sun. Now let's take a look again at verse 1. Because I think verses 1 through 6, the preacher here, is emphasizing the whole stop worrying aspect. And he does that by highlighting some of the areas that, at least in his culture, were things that people would get worked up about. They would just worry and worry and worry. In verse 1 it says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, First of all, I'll just tell you, the, the imagery that's in verse 1, there, as far as we know, there's no contemporary sort of equivalent of that. I noticed you have the NIV, the Nearly Inspired Version, translation in your bulletin. And in that, rather than translating it, they actually interpret it. Right? Um, I don't remember what it said there. It was like... Uh, where it is? Ship your grain across the sea and after many days. And that is a very possible idea here. Cast your bread on the waters. Put your exports, you know, the little trinkets you're making or the crops you're raising. Don't put them all on one ship because if that ship goes down, you're busted. You are taking a risk anyway and you need to take a risk. Life is full of risks. But I think part of 21st century North American life, even among Christians, is trying to play it safe. We want big rubber bumpers that somehow guarantee that life's not going to have bumps and bruises. The preacher here says you're going to take risks, but sort of minimize those risks by sending them out on six or seven ships. And that way, if one goes down, the other six will get through, right? You'll get some return on your labor. And I think that imagery there is in verse 2 as well. Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. In other words, again, one or more of the ships could go down, but don't lose it all, but diversify it. The other thing that he may be talking about here is actually giving generously to people. Just cast your produce on the waters, right? Because if you throw it on the waters, it's not talking about feeding ducks here, but I mean, it just kind of goes wherever it's going to go. And it could be give generously. Don't worry about, you know, is this a good investment by giving this to this person? It's rather give it. Now, there may be some return, and that may be hinted at here in um, verse 2, that then if things in fact go wrong with you, you have been generous with others. And there's a good chance that either they will be generous back to you or others who know your life and character. Because let's all admit, it's easier to give to people who you kind of know and respect and appreciate. It's like, I can help you. It is much harder. It's more of a challenge. Give to people you don't really know what they're going to do with it. You don't know how they're going to handle it, right? That's human nature. But either way, whether it's invest by diversifying, so that if something happens to one part of your portfolio, the rest of it keeps going along with a chance that it could bring some return. Or give generously. Not, again, knowing am I going to get anything back, but you do sort of up your chances, as it were, 
Look at uh, Psalm 112, verses 5 to 9 with me, because I think this says something very similar to this. Good times, uh, good, excuse me, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business wisely. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord, Yahweh, to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They have influence and honor. The idea here is if you're just generous, people know that. They respect that. You, they, they look up to you. They appreciate it. John D. Rockefeller, who was at the time when he died in 1937, was one of the richest people in the world. And the story is told anyway that the news reporters, of course, got there. And in the course of the news conference about the demise of John D. Rockefeller, the question was asked, how much did he leave? And the answer, it is said, is all of it. Right? You can't take it with you. There is no pocket in a shroud. They're, they're, hearsts don't pull U-Haul trailers behind them. Right? You are leaving it all. And Scripture, not only in Psalms, not only in Ecclesiastes, but throughout Scripture is, be generous. Don't be hoarding. Don't be grasping. Don't, my precious. <laughs> you don't want to be holding on it. Because, I mean, the power of the books, more than the movie even, but the power of those books is how much this ring consumes this person. It's his. It, 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 he, there's this supposed power. There is power. But it's that i got to hold on to it. I have to grasp it. And Scripture says we need to let it go. And just a little word about investing and spending. I'm, I'm still working this in my head. This is maybe about a six-month idea. But it dawned on me. I, I spend time with about three young pastors and some good friends like Curtis, and, and we get together for coffee and whatever. And sometimes when I talk about that, I talk about, well, I'm investing in these young pastors. And I am trying to start thinking about spending myself on these young pastors. Because I have no idea if there's going to be any return in their life and mine, right? And I think in our North American 21st century mindset, we think of investing in people's lives. We use that word all the time. But we don't know if we're going to get any return back. And if we get a return, we don't know if it's going to be a good return, right? I mean, some people invest in their children and it doesn't turn out so well. So what have we started thinking about in terms of, I am giving myself, I'm spending myself for this person. Do you see what that removes from it? Because I'd love to think that I, I love unconditionally and that I give unconditionally, but I'm broken like you. I don't. I tend to think in terms of, well, if I raise them right, you know, my kids will take care of me when I'm older. And when we moved down to live, in, live with my mother-in-law, who passed away this last April, I don't know how long we thought we'd be with her, but it was eight years. And sometimes the kids would say, you know, I really look up to you, Dad. And I said, hey, there's some enlightened self-interest here. You know, I'm trying to model something. When I get old, I want you to be there. <laughs> um, but what if we change that investing in our kids to I'm, I'm spending my life for my kids. I'm, I'm giving to them without expectation of a return. It'd be great if it comes back. You know, train up a child in the way that he or she should go, etc. But 
there's a switch that goes off in my head when I think of investing. Stop preaching, went to meddling. Let's look at verse 3. The other thing I think we need to stop worrying about, the first was our investments, or you know, am I going to get a return on this, is how many things that you have zero control over. Look at verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. Now again, this is an agrarian society. This is before we could do weather forecasting. Um, and, and why do we pay weather forecasters in Southern California anyway? Night and morning low clouds followed by hazy afternoon sunshine, highs in the mid-70s. I mean, I can do that, <laughs> right? But in this culture where they need rain to survive, and in Southern California, we do as well. We live in a desert. We often forget. But basically what he's saying is you have zero control over, I mean, if it's full of rain, it's going to drop it. When you don't want it, because of what it'll do to the crops, or maybe not, when you do need it, it's going to move on down the valley, and they're, they're going to get it. You can throw sticks at it. You can throw rock salt at it. You are not going to make those clouds do anything. You have zero control over that. So why do you go to bed at night worried about whether or not you're going to get rain to ruin your crops, or you're not going to get rain and your crops aren't going to grow? You have zero control. Why is that consuming you? Why are you tossing and turning over this thing? You've got no control. He's another imagery. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there will it lie. It's like, hey, it's in my path. I'm trying to get from village to village, and now I've got a tree in my way. Oy vey! Right? You've got no control over that. Go around the tree. It's not like you can plan where the tree is going to fall. Now, we're not talking to lumberjacks here. Right? Where you can cut it and put I had a poplar in my yard in Santa Margarita, and the next door neighbor, who's a fireman, the way he cut it, we had to come between two, two fence posts because we'd taken out just a section. And this thing was probably three stories tall. And he fell it right between the posts. It was like, you are good. But that's not what we're talking about here. It's just the random tree. The roots give up. It's like after the rainstorms here in Southern California, where suddenly trees just, they were old and diseased anyway. It actually isn't the rain that made them fall. It was a problem systemically. And there's a sermon for another time, right? It's the storms that actually show how good the roots are, right? It's not the storm that causes the tree to fall. But that's, we'll come back to that another time. Both images here are things over which you have absolutely no control. Sharon and I, Lord willing, are going to Europe in March. And we are going to go see our daughter, who's living in Condern, Germany. And then we're going up to Amsterdam. And then we're going to Paris. Never been to Paris, right? Do you think I've been reading the paper a little more carefully over the last couple of weeks, right? But are we staying home? I have no control over Paris. I'm going to watch where I'm going. I'm going to be very aware, you know. But people stay awake night. Flying, right? Have I got any? I pray for the pilot. I pray for the mechanic. I, when I get on a plane, you know, I pray up, but I've got no control. But I'm willing to take a risk. What he's saying here is stop worrying about those things over which you have absolutely no. The U.S. economy, they don't call me and say, so what do you think we ought to do? I, I don't have that kind of power. I vote, but even there, well, don't even get me started. There are just so many things. Drunk drivers, the stock market. There's, our life is full of things that we can't control. So why do we spend all that energy worrying about something that may or may not happen? 
I've gotten to the point where I try to say, you know, I wasted some perfectly good worrying over that thing. You know, save whatever concern you have over those things over which you do have some control. How well do you do your job? How are you treating your neighbor? I mean, there are a lot of things in life over which we have at least some control. But there are dozens and dozens and dozens of things over which we have no control. He says, stop worrying about it. The third thing is finding the perfect time to do something. Look at verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow. Picture here is the farmer who kind of wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, it's a little windy today. I don't think I'll go out and throw my seeds, you know, because they are broadcasting. They're throwing them. It's like, you know, it might go a little too far. It might go into the neighbors. So I'm not going to sow today. If you do that every day when the conditions aren't perfect, how much crop are you going to get? Right? I mean, that's the imagery here. It's like, if you wait for the perfect time, you'll still be waiting. It's kind of like if God was waiting until at least one of us deserved to be saved, he'd still be waiting. Right? There's no perfect time. He did it at the right time. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And the second imagery here is, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Here, you know, he went ahead and he sowed, and now the crop's coming due, but, oh, it might rain today. I think I'll finish my book. You know, it's like, you cannot wait for the perfect time. It's like, you know, I'll get the job, I'll get a, a job when I find the perfect one that pays what I want it to pay. And in the meantime, I'll live with my parents. Now, that is not, if you, I mean, get a job, for goodness sake. At least you're doing something. Or, you know, I'll really follow Jesus when I'm finally retired and my kids are grown and I've got some time to really spend in Scripture. Then I'll follow Jesus. That'll be the perfect time. Or, and I've heard young fathers say this, you know, I'll play with my kids when they can actually respond. It's like, you know, by the time you wait for that, it's too late. They've already focused on all kinds of other people who are more than willing to give them the time. From the moment they open their eyes after birth, you need to be there for them. There is no perfect time to parent. And I'll parent when I get my degree done and I get my new job and I get my... Then I'll actually focus on my kids. Too late. Somebody else is raising them. You, there's never... There's seldom a perfect time to do something that has to get done. See, that's the imagery. There's things that really have to get done. Sowing your seeds, your crop. Again, if you're waiting to maybe do something like a, a vacation, you know, you might wait, you know. But he's talking about the things that have to get done. You can't wait for the perfect time. Just do it. Don't sit around. And for goodness sake, don't worry about it. It's like, well, but if I do it this time, it needs to get done. Do it. Refuse to worry about finding the perfect time for the thing that needs to get done. The fourth thing, verse 5. Stop worrying about understanding everything. Verse 5. And you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the, woman of, in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The preacher here says that there are so many things you'll never fully understand. That doesn't mean God's not at work. Even with the lack of scientific understanding that we have about you know, the sperm and the egg and they come together and then it quickens. He's talking about the quickening and they finally feel it. Even with the lack of that information, they knew what it was, what was the biological act that brought about the quickening of this baby, right? But no couple was saying, hey, we're going to stop doing that until we figure it out. You know, once we know how this actually works, uh, we're not getting together. No, they were just 
spending time together. And some of those times, there was a baby. And how did they know there was a baby? Because there was a quickening, there was a movement, there was a little kick, a little flutter, morning sickness. There was stuff going on. But they didn't worry about, ah, what are we... It's just like, no, you know what? We're going to do what life calls us to do, and God's at work. We'll either have children or we won't. But we're going to be together. And let me just draw a parallel here. I think there are tons of theological truths that people say, you know, I'm not really going to do anything with that until I fully understand it. Well, man, you will probably (laughs) never be obedient in that area or even make steps toward it. This is a ton of stuff that we don't fully understand. I tell you, the longer I spend in the Word, the, the deeper and richer my understanding of who God is, that's true. But there's also stuff that was so clear to me in my teens and 20s in Scripture that is like, eh, I don't know. It's, it's just not that clear anymore because I understand the bigger picture. And I do understand God's character more. So then I look differently at certain passages because like, how does that reflect what I know to be true of the character of God. So don't wait until you get it all figured out and then, then I'll start being obedient. It's like, this seems pretty clear. I'm at least going to step out in faith and do this thing. I'll let my brothers and sisters correct me if I'm moving in the wrong direction, but I'm going to at least move. I'm not going to spend all my time in my den with one light in the Bible and you know, see if I can't get it all figured out and then I'll go out and live the Christian life. We don't need full understanding to do the things that God's called us to do. And the last thing I think he says to stop worrying about is reaping. Instead, focus on the sowing. And I think this goes back to the first point, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Look at verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether they both alike will be good. We get focused on how much fruit I'm going to get back on this thing, that we never actually sow the seeds. Again, this goes back to the spending, investing thing. How about if I just spend myself, and I'll let God take care of the results? Stop worrying about how much you're going to produce in this thing. Just do what needs to get done. Well, I think there's a little bit of a switch in verse 7. The first was basically don't worry, and the second part is about let your heart cheer you. Enjoy life. Stop being a curmudgeon. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut, I was actually going to pull out this quote and I forgot, um, but he talked about, you know, the most, one paraphrase, the most wonderful argument for Christianity is a life fully lived, people following Christ and, and responding to life. But the ugliest thing is Christians who just have a dead orthodoxy that's a bunch of do's and don'ts and stop that. You know, somebody's having fun somewhere. You've got to stop it. And, and that is not what is biblical. It's not what the preacher here is saying. It's like, enjoy life. Get over it. You're not as important as you think you are. This morning, it was great. After spending time over the last few weeks in this passage, I go out to feed the dog, because Sharon's not there, so I've got to do it. I go out to feed the dog, and there's this beautiful reddish sunrise. Anybody up early enough to see that? And I knew it wasn't caused by smog. So my heart really rejoiced. Because, you know, a lot of the sunsets... Well, never mind. Um, See, I grew up in northern Idaho where when you have a red sunset or a sunrise, it's because God is on his throne and all's right with the world. 
down here, not so much. But anyway, I looked at the sunrise, and I just, because I've been marinating in this passage, I just went, thank you. That's great. Isn't it good there's another day today? And so he says, let your heart cheer you. And I think he starts with this, life's simple pleasures. Look at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I think he's talking about a sunrise. It's like, I got up this morning. I could move. I could see the sun come up. This is great. That's a gift. Not everybody gets that. So how about I just be grateful? If God does nothing else today, I'm still breathing. The sun came up. It's glorious. So let's just not overcomplicate. You know, I've got to have the latest Blu-ray. I've got to have the latest whatever. It's like, how about we learn to enjoy the fact that, for instance, I had to mow yesterday. I let it go for about four weeks. I'm weed whacking. I'm getting the stuff done so it'll look good when Sharon gets home. And uh, you're hearing a theme here. But I, I just have to say, you know, God, at least the stuff grows. You know, green is keen. Some of it may be weeds, but at least it's green. Not everybody gets green. And green is good. It's, it's simple pleasures. We overcomplicate our lives, I think, especially here in Southern California. Let the heart cheer you with daily joy. Look at verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember the days of darkness will be many. By the way, that is his way of saying, you will get older and life will become more complicated. Can I get an amen from the older folks here this morning? You know, we're... You don't just jump out of bed. You sort of put one foot and then the other. You make sure all your bodily parts are working. And, and then you say, good, I'm alive. I get another day. Let's go look at the sunrise. What he says is, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So that's the big thing. It's like every day you get, it's a gift. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. That as you get older, life gets tougher. Which is why he talks about, in the next verse, verse 9, rejoice when you're young. That you can bounce out of bed. You can do stupid stuff and survive it. Right? You can, you can make bad choices. I mean, how many... I am always amazed at how many of us make it out of childhood and the teenage years. Can I get an amen? I mean, seriously, the things... I remember walking around Tubbs Hill. It's a little place in Coeur d'Alene. And I was with my parents. And I was... I had three kids at that point. And I said to my kids, yeah, this is where we used to jump off the rock into the lake. And my mom went, what? <laughs> right? I mean, I just failed to mention that when I was growing up. It's amazing any of us get out alive, but he's saying, go ahead, jump off the rock. I think he would say, don't make uninformed decisions, but we tested how deep it was first, you know. We knew as long as you cleared the rest of the rock, you'd be fine. <laughs> There's a video out there somewhere of my son when he was at Biola. I shouldn't mention this. He'd probably get arrested. But it was right around Halloween, and they filled a pumpkin with gasoline and got on the roof of their apartment and threw it into an open fire pit down below. The flame was amazing. I'm sorry. I'm a guy, right? It was, but he could, have been, he could have fallen off the roof. He could, it could have been a trail of gas. I mean, delete that from the uh, audio, would you? <laughs> He's doing well now. He's a youth pastor. He's a nice... <laughs> he's a great young man. What? Um, but here's like, enjoy your life. Don't grow too old too fast. Right? And I can remember with my kids trying to hold back, because I knew what life held, right? I was older. 
I carried some of the scars. And it was all I could do not to make them just stay home, right, and be safe. There's no life in that. And I think the preacher's really saying, it's okay to be stupid at times. Now he goes on to say, and you do it responsibly, right? <laughs> God is there. He, he's, don't be immoral. And it doesn't mean, you know, check it out. But it's like, seriously, don't just have such a structured life that you never risk anything and you miss out. What's that one saying, you know? Risk getting slapped. You might get a kiss. Right? I mean, go for it. What's the worst that could happen to you? Anyway. But I digress. You can delete that from the audio, too. The third thing I think that he says, kind of just enjoy life, um, is with the the responsible enjoyment of God's provision. And we're back to verses 9 and 10 here. Verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. I just mean, I think he's trying to say you'll be responsible. I don't think this is like everlasting judgment is the sense here. I think it's just understand that there is some accountability here. That God made life, and and if you've read Proverbs, there's a lot of wise, like, don't be stupid here. No, if a woman says, hey, big boy, that's not a good sign. It's not a compliment. So stay away from that woman. Run in the other direction, right? There's lots of wisdom in Proverbs about how to live life. In fact, I, I love the wisdom literature because, frankly, I think for most of us as Christians, we need to live wisely. We keep looking for a rule for everything. I think Proverbs is all about living wisely, meaning you don't need a rule for everything. You just need to understand God's character and how you're wired and, and then walk carefully right? But not so circumspectly that you never actually enjoy life. It says, rejoice, walk in the ways of your heart, but know for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Um, Sharon and I have a saying that we use that we always thought was biblical. Now I have Ecclesiastes to back me up, but it's this. If it's not a sin, it's an option. Think about that a minute. If there is no direct commandment from God to avoid a certain thing or to stop doing a certain thing, then it's an option for your life. Which means there are an awful lot of choices that God has left up to us. You know? When you're still single, who do I date? Who do I pursue? How do I want to live my life? Do I even want to get married? Do I want to buy a house before I get married? I mean, all those things are up for grabs. There's no scripture on those things. Live wisely. And if it's not a sin, then choose the best path and walk it. Especially when you're young, you can come back from it. I remember when my kids were talking about going out and doing uh, missionary things, and I said, you know, it's never going to be easier. The longer you live life, and then you get married, and then you have your kids, and then you have your job, and then you've got a mortgage, and, and not all of those things are, are burdens in a negative sense, but they are responsibilities. That's why Paul in Romans said, look, if you can stay single and minister the gospel, that's great. Because then you just think about you and the ministry. Once you get married, you've got other responsibilities. And so we said to our kids, go for it now. You can always come back, right? And then get a job. And I think that's what the preacher is saying. Is in essence, Stop worrying so much about all those details. Live life in the context of the fact that there is a God. He knows you and loves you, and he does have parameters But I think, honestly, those parameters are out there quite a ways compared to how some people live. 
So when he says things like rejoice and cheer and follow your heart and do what seems right, he says at the core of that, there is a God who will judge. So don't go crazy on all this stuff. There are responsible ways to enjoy what God has given you. Look at verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life, in other words, early on, are vanity. They're, just, they're here today and gone tomorrow. They're gone in a heartbeat. Like I said, I turned 61 and I'm looking like, when did that happen? And it, again, this has been a great reminder of, oh my goodness, I am not a young man anymore. Because in my head, I'm still like 20, 25. <laughs> I still want to throw pumpkins off. No, yeah. um, so what? What are the implications of this? And now, what should we do with this thing? Well, because the preacher only gave us two points, I think we can camp on those, and then I'm going to give you a third one. The first is, refuse to worry. And if you're already worrying, stop it. Which is easier said than done, right? It is, stop it and keep stopping it, right? Because we're already there. We worry about so much. We let that stuff consume us. Memorizing my lines, I'll tell you frankly, has literally kept me up at nights. Because I want to do well. I'm a middle child. I like to be liked, right? <laughs> and the director took a risk at casting me. And, and I want to do well. But I am worrying over it. In fact, if I spent some of that time that I spent worrying simply going over the lines, I'd probably be doing better. But refuse to worry. The second is let your heart cheer you. Right? Enjoy life. Stop being such a cosmic killjoy. Just appreciate the sunset. Appreciate your kids. Appreciate your friends. Appreciate your church. Appreciate your leadership. Just enjoy life. Lighten up. Or, in the words of Paul and Sharon Schlieb, take God more seriously and yourself less seriously. Take God more seriously and yourself less seriously. I mean, seriously... Tara and I have a saying we often use, look, a thousand years from now, what difference will it make? Right? When we're trying to make decisions, you know, Payway, Corner Bakery. (laughs) A thousand years from now, what difference will it make? You know, tan walls, ochre walls, you know, a thousand years from now, and you can paint over it. What? We're going into remodel. It's going to be fun. But use that phrase about a lot of stuff that you fret over and see what you come up with. A thousand years from now, what difference will it make? And if it isn't going to make a lot of difference, then pick one, anyone, and go for it. Now, I discovered, uh, or I wanted to share with you, actually, a song from one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Billy Crockett. And I don't know if he had Ecclesiastes 11 in mind, but I think it captures at least what I wanted you to get out of Ecclesiastes 11, because I think it's what's in there. So we're going to play it, the words will be on the screen, and then I'll come up and close in prayer. Let us be thankful, boys and girls, Eyes and ears and toes And puppies with wet noses Let us be thankful, boys and girls For lessons we have learned And love we have not earned Follow the beat of amazing grace Oh, let us be thankful, boys 
could have saved us a half hour if I just played that and closed in prayer, but they asked me to preach. So, But I, I really think that captures what the preacher is trying to say, is there's just so many small, simple joys that we take so for granted and we get so caught up in so many things that we really can't control. But God knows. God's on the throne. None of it takes him by surprise. And he really cares for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this whole series that... Uh, Curtis has brought this congregation through. So listen to the words of the preacher as he gives advice to young people and old people. 
that you really are there, that you do make a difference, and that we take ourselves far too seriously, far too often, that there's so much of life for us to enjoy. Would you help us to enjoy it responsibly? In Christ's name, amen. We're going to continue worship um, with giving back to God and close our service. And hopefully just, again, remind ourselves 